From the Orange County Fire Authority, this is the Pass Along Podcast, where we address firefighter issues from top to bottom, from your helmet down to your boots. Now, here's your host, OCFA's Assistant Chief of Organizational Planning, Mike Schrader. All right, welcome back to OCFA's Pass Along Podcast. Uh, This week we'll be featuring part one of a two-part segment uh, where we discuss uh, OCFA's Cancer Prevention and Awareness Program with a panel discussion led by uh, Fire Captain Jeff Hughes. I just read an article to where they talked about the most exposed people are the interior firefighters, not necessarily just during the overhaul phase. So the overhaul guy comes out and he might have the most junk on him, the most visible dirt, and realize, man, these turnouts are very dirty. I have to turn these in and get get them cleaned. Whereas the interior firefighter that was just exposed to the interior smoke, they're the ones that have the most contaminants actually on them. All right, but before that, uh, let's talk about some news and noteworthy items here at the OCFA. Uh, Best and Bravest is coming up. Uh, It just seems like uh, yesterday that we uh, celebrated uh, those who've distinguished themselves in various capacities. Uh, It seems like just yesterday, and and we're about to do it again, so we need to get those nomination forms in. Um, Just think about pretty much anybody. It doesn't have to be in your own section. And uh, you just want to recognize those folks who don't just meet the standard, but they exceed it. And we certainly have a, uh, a large number of staff who do that. So remember, you can nominate anyone. It doesn't have to be just somebody in your section. It can be outside the box as well. Uh, next, uh, Assistant Chief of Operations Brian Young just sent out an invitation to everybody, encouraging them to attend uh, the uh, Orange County Fire Service Memorial Remembrance on October 10th at 10 o'clock in the morning in Santa Ana. Uh, And that's a great opportunity to get together with our fellow Orange County Fire Department brothers and sisters and uh, pay uh, pay our respects, really, and to honor those who passed away from the previous year. Speaking of firefighter memorials, uh, members from our Pipe and Drum Corps, as well as our Honor Guard, and uh, even executive management uh, with Chief Young, as well as uh, Division Chief John Abel, uh, attended this year's uh, 2017 International Association of Firefighters Fallen Firefighter Memorial in Colorado Springs. And uh, we typically support uh, members from you know, both the Pipe and Drum Corps as well as the Honor Guard attending the event, which they do, uh, whether we have somebody who's uh, being placed on the wall or not. But this year in particular uh, was tough in that we added a name from amongst our own ranks uh, to those of the fallen, and that's uh, OCFA firefighter Ron Castro, who lost his battle with cancer uh, late last year, as you recall. These events are always tough, but um, we're so appreciative that those who attend, uh, they represent our agency. Uh, with strength and pride, and, um, and we just couldn't be more proud of them. As I mentioned before in a previous podcast regarding the 9-11 ceremony, uh, our Pipe and Drum Corps and our Honor Guard, uh, a lot of these, uh, these guys who participate, uh, they're our best and brightest and most polished, and a lot of times they do these things um, and spend a lot of money and time out of their own pocket. Um, and so I just wanted to uh, say thanks to them for representing um, I've been with them at the National in Emmitsburg. Uh, they were just with um, Ron and his family at uh, the International in Colorado. And then uh, we've also been up to the state in Sacramento as well to honor our fallen. So oddly enough, this leads to our next featured segment. This is uh, Fire Captain and Assistant Fire Training Officer Jeff Hughes, who is going to lead a panel discussion on cancer awareness and prevention uh, at OCFA. And he did that recently, and he was joined by uh, OCFA Battalion Chief Brad Phoenix, who is the chair for our safety committee focused on cancer awareness and contaminant reduction. 
We also have Jonathan Wilby, uh, who's our risk manager and a member of that committee, as well as Austin Cree, who's an OCFA firefighter and cancer survivor as well. So without further ado, let's uh, take a listen to what we have in store for you on the cancer prevention front. Welcome to uh, this version of OCFA uh, podcast, the Pass Along podcast. Uh, this month, we're going to be talking about the OCFA's cancer awareness and prevention program. Uh, this is a huge issue. It's not a new issue. Uh, firefighters uh, in this organization and around the world really have known uh, the occupational dangers of uh, firefighting and the cancer exposures that we uh, are definitely exposed to. Uh, but the statistics out there and the exposures that we can obviously work harder on and more diligently on reducing those exposures. Um, it's too big of an issue to not take every tactic uh, at our disposal to reduce uh, the guy's exposures to uh, hazardous materials and carcinogens so that we have a more healthy uh, work environment. So uh, a couple years back, uh, the OCFA uh, risk manager, uh, Jonathan Wilby, who's sitting here today. Uh, they started a uh, firefighter health and safety uh, committee uh, to discuss a number of issues, and one of those being firefighter contamination uh, reduction. Uh, also uh, in that group, uh, was led by uh, Battalion Chief Brad Phoenix, who was also here today, uh, that helped us uh, with guidance in this whole process. Uh, the process, why don't you guys talk about the original objectives of the uh, firefighter cancer exposure reduction or contamination reduction? Yes, it was, it's just an effort to um, protect our members um, as much as, uh, as we can in, our, uh, in the environments that we work in. Uh, Chief Young approached me uh, a couple years ago uh, early 2016, I believe, so maybe just less than two years ago. But um, he wanted to uh, formalize and get uh, policies, procedures in place um, to do just that, to help protect our members. Um, since then, uh, been working uh, with uh, 3631, with uh, uh, Jonathan Willoughby, um, now with Safety and Training, who, who has a big part in it. Um, also, Russ uh, Snyder from the Service Center, because they have to help uh, coordinate a lot of these activities, and, and they're, they're doing a lot now with cleaning some turnouts. But um, anyway, the, we got a committee together, um, like we do in the OCFA, to, to get things moving. And I'm actually pretty happy with our progress, because we've uh, hit, a, hit a lot of benchmarks, and we actually have this turning into a reality, which, which is great. But um, been working on some stuff in the background. Um, getting equipment, getting some procedures in place uh, so we make sure that we are have some direction with doing the right thing. But, um, you know, of course, I've had the assistance a lot from, from John Wilby, and he'll be chiming in here uh, to tell you about what he's been doing. But um, coming up soon now is going to be um, the uh, implementation of the program to the field with, um, with actual faces, real people, experiences. Um, and that's uh, where Captain Hughes has taken over, and he's going to be, uh, you'll be seeing the great work he's been doing to get this out because you'll hear this over and over and over if you haven't heard it already. Um, yes, equipment, procedures, um, they're all there, but none of it works without a, a culture change. And uh, 
and this is real and um, you'll be finding out more and more why it isn't just a big fake red light and for publicity it's um it's something that's for the benefit and health of our memberships and hope to get everybody a nice long retirement and not have to go through what other people have gone through um, learning from experience yeah the culture change is obviously a huge uh, deal. It's going to be probably the most uh, challenging aspect of, of this program and any other programs that goes against kind of the grain of the DNA of uh, what we've done forever, right? They say culture, it was there before I showed up. It's how we've always done things. And sometimes it's a mind shift uh, that can't be changed from maybe showing people some stats or changing some SOPs and saying, this is the appropriate thing to do and this is how we're going to do it now. Uh, that doesn't change culture. And, and I know that the Safety and Health Committee, uh, uh, John Wilby and, and Chief Phoenix, uh, worked pretty diligently on changing some SOPs. Uh, what were some of those SOPs uh, that were uh, being changed, that have been changed or in process of being changed uh, to work on this issue? The first thing that we did was the selection care and maintenance uh, turnouts, um, which the the big big shiny object with that associated with that was the second set of turnouts that uh, two thirds of the uh, organization has received. Now we're going to be uh, sizing up the last third and getting those out uh, around year's end. So somewhere end of this year, beginning of next year, everybody will have a, their second set of turnouts. Uh, that was the first one. That one actually took a long time to develop. Um, like I said, John Wilby may want to chime in because he was instrumental in it. Um, but getting that in place with the decon and, and getting the um, getting your uh, second set turnouts in service when you need to, and then uh, getting the the first set cleaned uh, so you're not carrying around those contaminants and exposing yourself to what you just brought back from the last incident. Uh, the second one that we did was quite long, but um, there's lots of reasons for that. It was respiratory protection uh, policy, and the, and the biggest, the most notable thing that came out of that is uh, now through overhaul, uh, we have mandatory uh, SCBA use. So um, the, the people who have been on scene and are working, and yes, they're tired, um, in past uh, practice, people have taken off their, uh, their BAs, but and I, and I get it, I understand why, but as you do that, you're exposing yourself to airborne contaminants. And there's a lot out there, and Captain Hughes will, will be highlighting some of those in the, maybe in this podcast or at least in his uh, upcoming months of, of uh, presentations to the, to the field. You know, you know, Brad, when it comes to the, the exposures, I think the kind of misconception that's been out there in firefighting for so long is that if you don't see anything, you don't smell anything, that there isn't an exposure there. And study after study that's been done to really characterize what's in the overhaul environment just keeps coming back that there's, because of the synthetic materials in furniture and just in the interiors of these homes and what the homes are made out of, that there's just more and more that you don't see, you don't smell. It's so small that you don't even see it with, with the human eye. You really have to measure it in a laboratory to even know it's there, but that's the type of stuff that's killing people. So when you talk about the cultural change, it's things like that that we have to get people to recognize those things and just be diligent about thinking about 
the long-term effects and that, yeah, you can get some short-term comfort by getting a BA off your back as quickly as possible, but it's really looking at the big picture and looking at the chronic exposure for 30 years that you're trying to avoid so you avoid cancer and you can enjoy that retirement that, that is the cultural change we need to get to. Definitely. You know, you talk about the exposures, you know, uh, the exposures that we uh, are getting on these fire scenes oftentimes aren't seen by dirt as dirt. They don't show themselves the same way. Uh, uh, I just read an article to where they talked about the most exposed people are the interior firefighters, not necessarily just during the overhaul phase. So the overhaul guy comes out and he might have the most junk on him, the most visible dirt and realize, man, these turnouts are very dirty. I have to turn these in and get, in, get them cleaned. Whereas the interior firefighter that was just exposed to the interior smoke, they're the ones that have the most contaminants actually on them. You can't see it, just like you said. That's why uh, definitely we're going to talk about that in, our, in the program, that the goal is to get those guys cleaned up, uh, not just on scene by uh, doing a gross decon when they come out of the, the uh, building, uh, but to also use the goal of shower within an hour, right? Uh, or even as soon as possible. Uh, that one hour is just a guideline that we'd like to shoot for. Uh, and oftentimes uh, it might not be feasible every time, but that certainly should be in the forefront of our minds to uh, get that junk off of our people for sure. That includes the baby wipes that, that are coming down the pipe. They've been out there for a while. Uh, with the safety officers and the battalion chiefs and the department definitely has stepped up their game uh, and we're working on making those available for every uh, emergency piece of equipment so that they're more available to be utilized in the appropriate way which is wiping your face and your neck uh, your armpits and maybe even your groin since that is one of the most uh, uh, permeable uh, skin is like that the, the angle of your neck and your jaw and other areas that uh, you can get a serious exposure from that. Speaking of that, uh, we also have Austin uh, Cree here, who is a uh, uh, firefighter cancer survivor. And uh, uh, anyway, Austin, welcome. And uh, why don't you tell us about your story? Well, I'm really excited to be able to share my story and to bring a personal uh, touch to this discussion. I had less than a year on in the fire service when I got diagnosed with testicular cancer. Uh, after being diagnosed and doing my homework, I found that testicular is the most common form of cancer to affect firefighters. Uh, we're at just over 2% more of a risk, two times, I'm sorry, greater risk in the general public for testicular cancer. So uh, I was on the job here with OCFA for eight weeks in the academy when I started noticing some symptoms. Uh, initially went to a doctor who gave me a false sense of hope, assuring me that it wasn't uh, that big of a problem. So I went on a period of six weeks thinking that uh, it was going to go away. Followed up with seeing a specialist who diagnosed me that day with testicular cancer. And I was 12 hours later in the surgery room having an operation. So thankfully, I am 22 months since that surgery and the cancer has not relapsed. Uh, surgery corrected it and it was a combination of early diagnosis and working with the right people as fast as possible. Uh, so something that I'm excited to work with with this organization and with this uh, group is just to bring my story to it and then also to encourage and direct people uh, to take the preventative actions 
but then also when you start thinking that you have a problem to seek help as fast as possible because with cancer time is everything you know tagging into that austin the the we fit program the wellness fitness program just came back under risk management from ems in july and what you said about early detection is is so on point and that's one of the one of the reasons for the physicals in the WeFit program is to detect all of these different health issues that a firefighter can have as early as possible so that you have a better chance of, of beating whatever it is. And over the years, over the last 10 years, the participation rate in the WeFit program and in those, those um, semi-annual physicals has been decreasing. And I just think it's so important that people in the field go to those physicals, participate in the WeFit program, and understand that the WeFit program physical is a physical designed for firefighters. It's designed to detect the type of issues that firefighters have. So even if you're getting physicals away from the WeFit program on your own, the physicals your doctor may be doing may not be all-encompassing as far as the type of health issues that you may have. So that's, that's really one of the benefits of the program, and it's there for the membership. So take advantage of it and, and participate in it is, is my message, my shameless plug. That's, that's so important that uh, actually there's a huge value in just having that one-on-one -on -one FaceTime with a doctor anyway. Remember, it's a, it's a confidential, non-punitive benefit for the guys to get checked because that early detection can literally save your life. Uh, there has been a number of folks that have had uh, with a wide ranging of issues from cardiac problems that were found, discovered, life saved, cancer discoveries, lives are saved. And so yeah, I don't understand uh, the low uh, turnout for those things, uh, whereas other departments don't actually do that on duty. Um, so we try to make it easy. I know it's very difficult for the WeFit coordinator to work on the scheduling because it's not as high a priority maybe as it should be for, for folks to follow through when they get those emails ahead of time. And I'm not going to get on this whole soapbox any higher than that. I just know that it's a huge benefit that can literally save your life. And uh, please, guys, take advantage of this. Uh, it's for you, really. Um, and Austin, you know, you were talking about uh, uh, your battle with cancer and that uh, you're still kind of dealing with it, right? It's only been a very short time since uh, you had had uh, the procedure. So how often do you go get checked? It was the initial surgery followed by every three months was checkups with blood work and CT scans of my abdomen. Uh, the testicular cancer falls a pretty predictive path of upward travel if it was to get into the lymphatic system. So they would check me every three months for that first year. Second year increased to four month intervals. And now that I'm beginning the year three treatment, it'll be every six months. And then once I hit year four, it'll be annually for the rest of my life. So it's one of those things where, kind of to tie back in about the WeFit thing, it's kind of a similar process of blood work and CT scans if you were to take that WeFit opportunity that could potentially catch something before it becomes a problem. So it's important to, like a wildland fire, to try to design your box around the fire and contain it rather than letting it jump your line. Uh, with the CT and the blood work, that's exactly what we're trying to do with, with my cancer. So at this point in time, it seems like the box has been drawn and the fire has been contained, uh, and we're just continuing to monitor it as we go. So, How does that feel every time you go back down to the doctor to get a checkup? It, 
do you still have that angst or, or worry like here we go again kind of a thing or yeah every time you go there you obviously relive those feelings um, that first day when I sat down with that doctor in October 2015 when he looked me square in the eye and said that you had cancer something that you never are prepared to hear you've uh, think that cancer is not going to affect you that it's not going to um, get you especially while you're young and early in your career and so when you get dealt those words it takes a long time to uh, internalize and then to translate that to a phone call to your wife and say hey I just got told this 12 hours later I'm gonna have to have surgery um, that's the hardest part that has been the hardest part for my experience and that's the message that I really want to share with people listening to this podcast is when you go about your day especially as you're uh, in your career as a firefighter you're obviously exposing yourself to more risk than the general population so think about when you have to take that news in that you're being dealt the cancer card how are you gonna tell your family that you have cancer are you gonna be able to tell your family that you did everything in your power to prevent it or are you gonna be cutting corners not deconning yourself the right way not using everything that this department's giving you to be successful and then letting them deal with the repercussions of you having cancer and maybe not having you in their life anymore so it's a long and it's a very uh, tough road to deal with but with this uh, group I'm excited to hopefully bring this personal story and many other personal stories to this discussion so people can think about what they do on the daily uh, because the awareness part will drive the action part in this process and hopefully we can become more successful at catching and containing this cancer problem. You know your awareness is because you've had to deal with all of those emotions and, and the physical issues with this thing and yet you're forward thinking and, and have enough passion about trying to prevent others from having to deal with what you did personally and with your family uh, that you're literally committed in every way you're here on your off day to, to, to come in and share your story I mean it's got to be commended uh, because you literally care about the other people in this organization so that they're doing the right thing so that they don't have to go down the same path that you did and uh, my hats off to you for sure uh, I, I'm definitely uh, in this fight to assist in that kind of change uh, because we don't want other people to be as passionate about this because they've had to live through what you had to live through uh, and I think the compelling point that you say there you know uh, is that issue of having to deal with your your wife and your family family and how do you tell them that I maybe could have done more we've known forever that the smoke is bad and that we're doing dangerous things that can lead to this uh, occupational cancer and yet the tools that are now more available than ever to protect yourselves and I just chose not to. It's a personal responsibility uh, as well as, you know, obviously the leadership aspect of ensuring that your people aren't exposing themselves unnecessarily. Uh, it, it's, it's, very, it's very forward thinking of you to say that uh, we're trying to prevent this for the future and uh, you're doing the right thing by sharing your message in this way. Yeah, and just the crazy part is that I had less than one year in the fire service. So you look at someone like me who's very green to this profession, and all of a sudden I got diagnosed with testicular cancer. So if it's gonna could happen to me, it could happen to anybody. And then just want that people to, that are listening to know that and just to, to work with us and to try to make uh, every action possible to prevent that from happening to themselves. So. Yeah, I think the, the awareness piece is huge, and you're seeing this 
change in the level of awareness in the fire service as a whole. And the, the fire service, like Captain Hughes and I, we, we went to a cancer symposium last week with over 500 personnel from different fire departments throughout the country. And the fire service is embracing the need to address this and embracing the kind of mantra that this can be beat and that with the research that's out there now, the protection that um, you have available to you now, and just a change in, in practices, that the fire service can have less cancer than it has historically had. And um, I, I just think it's really powerful to see this movement in the fire service on some historical health issues that um, they're really addressing and, and, and believe that they can beat. And, and I agree that I, I really think that a large portion of occupational cancer can be prevented by doing the right things. You know, uh, we've actually, it appears that the OCFA or the West Coast, uh, we get maybe less cancer diagnoses than others, but the bottom line is we're exposed to the same things. I was telling the story about uh, Fire Chief and, and Commissioner Joe Finn from the Boston Fire Department who spoke at that symposium. Uh, his issue that he has to deal with in his department is they diagnose a firefighter with occupational cancer every two and a half to three weeks in that department, which is similar in size to the OCFA. They have 1,250 members. We're at a little over 1,100. Uh, every two and a half weeks, they, they had a... Uh, they're a very active department. Maybe their culture is a little bit different, but that's precisely the things that we're trying to deal with so that we don't fall into those kinds of numbers. We've been lucky so far. Lucky, I say lucky for somebody who has not had cancer, uh, but certainly we're trying to do everything in our power to, to prevent those from occurring in the future. Uh, I told the story of uh, uh, the fire that Joe Finn had talked about in 2014 in, uh, uh, in Boston. Uh, it was a huge fire with 200 uh, firefighters on scene. Uh, 2014, so it was three years ago, and 50 of the members that were on that fire have cancer currently. So, so you, you tell these stories and whether statistics have an impact on you or not, or that's Boston and this is OCFA and it's not the same. Hey guys, it is the same. If you don't think that the same contaminants that whatever that was on that fire was because that was in Boston, look around you and look at our service area and what we have. The amount of infrastructure and industry that we have in our organization, the potential is there. And if we aren't on point and doing the right things with our personal uh, decon and exposure control measures, that can be us. And, uh, we want to make sure that we're doing the right thing and, and giving everybody the right tools to, uh, to prepare for that so that we're not uh, dealing with having to speak with large groups of people about the exposures that slipped through our fingers and now a ton of our people are sick. We're just trying to do the right thing there for sure. I know uh, uh, fire engineer uh, Woody uh, Woodcock from Boston, they were or actually San Antonio Fire Department, uh, one of the sayings that they had at that symposium was uh, just before he died of cancer, he told his wife, if I had known, uh, if I had known 
I would have done everything different. And yet we know it's incumbent on us to do everything in our, in our power to uh, head this off. And the department is uh, absolutely behind us on this thing. Uh, you know, how many, how many meetings or how much discussion did it take uh, the, the board to write a check for a second set of turnouts? It was one meeting. One meeting, two and a half million dollar check, this needs to be done. Uh, and with that, we have a second hood and a second set of gloves as, as well, right? Because uh, your gloves are uh, one of the most exposed pieces of equipment we have as well, too. So, uh, and I said one meeting, and there's been a foundation laid for this uh, with a labor group and with members in the organization. So it was more than just one meeting, but as far as the, um, the official channels, it was one meeting, and um, we've gotten all the support. Uh, throughout the entire uh, process so far. I don't see that changing either. Fantastic. I, uh, I had uh, taken a class back east on firefighter safety and cancer kept coming up as this big issue along with behavioral health. And uh, so when I came back, uh, even though it wasn't on my radar organizationally, there was definitely already work that was in, in process here with the OCFA um, with the behavioral health thing, you know, we just made a quick poster, you know, which was something that was at least out there, but it wasn't like earth shattering, you know, uh, culture changing stuff by any means. It was just a step. Uh, I had a cancer program that, that I kind of put together and I wanted to share with, you know, I hate to say target solutions because I know that's kind of a, a negative thing in the department right now. But the idea was I didn't know how to share my message. And in, in the process of figuring out how to deliver this message and the importance of cancer awareness and prevention, uh, I had a phone call from our uh, union uh, president, Barrick Hunter, who uh, had some friends from the city of San Diego Fire and Rescue Department who had a cancer program. And they said, before you send out anything on cancer, which I'd spent a, a bunch of time on this thing, which really was based on stats and what we can do to kind of protect ourselves, but it was literally just one guy's idea about what we need to do. Uh, that's a different story altogether about one guy's idea of how this could be fixed, right? Um, and he said, before you send this thing out, you gotta listen to these guys talk. And uh, so I put it on hold for uh, two or three weeks. I went and heard uh, firefighter Curtis Bennett and uh, uh, George Duardo uh, speak and give their cancer awareness and prevention program information. Uh, and I was floored because they have definitely bought into this thing in every way, in every uh, level of the organization to where they are working on that culture change with, uh, they have a cool video, they have a PowerPoint thing. He literally goes out to every station and delivers this message face to face with everybody in the organization. And that, to me, the light came on over my head and it said, regardless of our policies and things that are coming down the pipe for that culture change, we need to do that, right? It's part of our health and safety. There's training involved as well. I'm thinking, right, I'm in training, I'm a safety officer. We need to do this and, and, and I'm certainly gonna help out with this wherever I can. And fortunately, uh, we had 
uh, folks like the risk manager and the strategic, strategic services chief that was already kind of uh, elbow deep in this problem and already working on SOPs and other things to help fix this. Uh, and I was uh, luckily able uh, to get involved in that way to where beginning in April, we're going to start rolling this out uh, at the battalion level and kind of sharing our story, our video, our program that talks a lot about the, the statistics uh, that are out there. Um, did I say April? Yes. I meant October. Because okay. October is uh, coming right up, and I've already scheduled the stuff beginning in, in October. So, um, so that's coming right up. Uh, you know, the, the firefighter cancer exposure is, uh, it is significant. Uh, at that symposium, they talked about uh, some of the, uh, the stats are that the na nation's population, about 22% of folks will get uh, cancer. And firefighters, if you're a professional firefighter, that number is up to about 68%. So if you're sitting in a room and you look to the left of, to you and you look to the right of you, two of you guys at some point in your lives are going to get cancer. And one of you is not going to make it because of that cancer. So to me, that was an eye-opening piece to where uh, you know, we're okay oftentimes with the fact that this job can shorten our lives. And I think culturally, uh, there's oftentimes that people believe that if I die from an occupational um, issue, right, it's, you know, I'm in a burning building, you know, I'm in the most dangerous uh, uh, area that I could be in and the building collapses, or I get lost, or I run out of air, all these terrible things that we really train and are very disciplined and ensuring that that doesn't happen. And uh, statistics show that's not how we die for, from our job. How we die from our job is in our living room in a hospital bed on hospice uh, because of occupational cancer. And uh, that definitely is something that was an eye-opener to me. Uh, my father, who worked for the city of Long Beach, died of, uh, of a brain cancer in which three other guys um, that were in his organization died at approximately the same amount of time after having almost 30 years on uh, of the same kind of brain cancer. And, you know, when I was high school, uh, you know, you don't realize that impact until you've spent uh, 32 years on the job uh, and knowing that we've known forever that this job can be dangerous and can cause uh, bad things to happen. And yet uh, oftentimes we're out in the field and we see folks taking unnecessary risks with their health and their safety. And uh, so we talked a little bit about personal responsibility. It's a leadership responsibility as well. And if the leaders in this organization aren't willing to tell somebody, hey, we're not going to breathe that. I will not tolerate somebody exposing themselves that could possibly come down with cancer. Well, that's just a different level of that uh, accountability and responsibility that we have to identify and I'd, take care of. I'd add to that, too, that it's not necessarily um, up the chain of command leadership. It's really peer-to-peer -peer leadership as well, that it's a commitment to the 
the people on your crew that not only am I making a personal commitment that I'm going to do the right things, but I'm going to make a personal commitment to you that if I see you not doing the right things, I'm going to call you out on it because I care about you. It's not because I'm trying to be a jerk. It's not because I'm trying to, you know, um, jack you up because of it. It's just I'm going to let you know what I see and that I, I care about you. It's true. And to kind of to tag in what you were talking about, Captain Hughes, the training that I've received at this department, especially in the academy, is what I'd argue some of the best in the country. And the hardest part of our academy is the multi-day out in Ben Clark, Rick under fire. And you look at the intensity and the discipline that we put into those days out there in Ben Clark training under real fired conditions, we need to take that same type of intensity with fighting the decon and the exposure that we're putting ourselves through with cancer. Because as you mentioned, in our career, we're gonna know more people that die from cancer because of on-the-job exposure than being stuck or trapped in a building. Absolutely. And uh, if we're not doing those things, really silence kind of sends a message, right? What you, what you permit, what you permit, you kind of promote, right? If you're allowing somebody to be in there during uh, any phase of the fire breathing smoke and you don't say something, you're actually okay with that. And I know uh, certainly with uh, Fire Captain Roy Gabrogi um, and uh, Mary Blau here recently just had a, a very significant battle. Uh, I, I'm really, uh, I'm passionate about trying to disallow that kind of, uh, that kind of damage and heartbreak that, that we have to endure. And as difficult as it was on the last day of Roy Gabrogi's life, uh, that was one of the most impactful moments for me. I, I, I highly recommend if we have anybody on this department that we know of that is sick or going through something that is uh, as hard and as difficult as cancer, um, we need to be right there with them. And as difficult as that is, that's the kind of impact that we need personally to help maybe change our views. Uh, and it's what the family needs. It's what the brothership sisterhood needs right you got to be there for those people so that uh, we're not okay with it if a guy had fallen through uh, the roof of a building and died uh, maybe after he retired because he had uh, other issues that uh, kept him from completing his safety career that funeral would be huge it would be televised it would be a massive thing you get a firefighter that retires and dies of cancer and you won't hear about it and guys, that's not okay. And especially when it could be preventable, right? What we, they talked about the, the amount of cancers that we're exposed to that are preventable, that are oftentimes overlooked, uh, it's staggering for sure. So, yeah, you know, bringing it back locally, um, you talked about Boston's experience. You talked about nationally, just national statistics. The, Orange County Fire Authority has about 16 cancer workers' compensation claims per year. So I just wanted to add a little perspective as, as far as our agency itself. A lot of those are skin cancers and abnormalities and things like that. And that's why you see out in the stations um, sunscreen dispensers in every station. And those are there to prevent those things. And again, it takes some um, 
change in behavior and diligence to actually use the tools that are being provided to you. Also here at headquarters, all the different departments that have employees that work in outdoor environments like community risk reduction, property management, fleet. We have sunscreen dispensers there as well, down in the, um, the WeFit gym. So that um, directly comes from what we see in workers' compensation as far as is, uh, skin cancer claims. Amazing. Um, you know, you, you touched on uh, the presumptive uh, legislation that's out there in the labor code. Uh, I think it's a misconception for folks to uh, to believe that because they are a firefighter and they have that shield over their, their heart, uh, that that presumption is going to cover them under any cardiac condition or any cancer condition. And uh, the presumptive laws are rebuttable and they are vigorously looked at uh, so that uh, the, the appropriate actions are taken. And so the presumptions don't last forever after you retire. The latency period for uh, uh, many cancers are five to 15 years. And if you have this chronic accumulation of exposures and maybe you're 50 when the trigger occurs, you know, you could be 65 before you're ever diagnosed. Uh, or if you're diagnosed the same time while you're still on the job, just because you're a firefighter, it's not presumed that that's occupational in, in, in nature. So we have to do everything that we can, just like we've been speaking about for the last uh, five minutes, uh, is that uh, the presumption is rebuttable, right? And so if you chew tobacco or if you're obese, uh, if you're having problems in, in other ways uh, with... Uh, maybe sleep apnea, things that can lead down that path. We need to do our best to be occupationally ready, period. Not just for cancer, not for cardiac, but for the occupation of being a firefighter. And so uh, know that the presumption isn't an automatic slam dunk. I'm covered because I'm a firefighter. And it, that's something that blew my mind at the cancer symposium is uh, one of the speakers got up there and she talked about how firefighters are less likely than the general population to smoke. They're more likely than the general population to chew tobacco and also the, the smokeless tobacco. It just blew my mind that this population that you look at as being a very healthy population um, is doing that to themselves. And when you talk about the presumptives, it's, I know this is a touchy subject and there's going to be some people out there that, that don't like to hear it, but you're really doing your, a disservice to your family that if you do end up dying from cancer in your career and you've been known to chew tobacco or you've been known to smoke cigarettes for the last 30 years, those are the things that are more than likely going to come up somewhere in medical records, somewhere in your history, and could jeopardize benefits to your family. And not just locally in state workers' compensation benefits, but when you're talking about um, line-of-duty death benefits that could be available to your family, and we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars, you could jeopardize that because of chewing tobacco. So again, I just encourage you to, to think about those things and make the personal changes that are going to help you prevent cancer and also help your families. 
you know, hand in hand with that, when you talk about the the health effect, the healthy worker effect, right? That's what firefighters are known for being, you know, at, at an age and a weight and a look to where they're physically able to do their job. Not everybody fits into that same pattern, but they're known as that healthy lifestyle effect, right? Occupationally ready to do heavy physical work. And yet the same cookie cutter firefighter uh, statistically is getting cancer at two to three times more than the other people that were supposedly more healthy than. And so there's another example of a, a, a gleaning uh, statistic that says we're not doing something right. You know, I hate to say we're doing something wrong, but uh, the numbers aren't matching what our heads are telling us that, that we're doing the right thing. Uh, we can certainly change a lot of things. And I'm really excited to roll this stuff out uh, so that we can actually start down the path of uh, a healthier lifestyle and, and firefighter force. All right, well, that's a good point to uh, take a break right here. Uh, we'll continue with the additional uh, information and more in-depth on the OCFA Cancer Awareness and Prevention Program on part two. All right, I want to take uh, just a moment and thank Brad and Jeff and Jonathan as well as Austin for helping out with this podcast and for all the work that you're doing with this program to be sure um, to safeguard our members in every way that we can. Uh, obviously, we have an obligation as uh, leaders and as an agency to look out for each other's well-being and make sure that um, when we leave an emergency, um, the only thing we leave is a lasting impression on those that we're called to serve and how we served honorably and nobly and professionally and not walk away from that incident uh, with lasting effects that will impact ourselves as well as our families. So make sure to tune in, listen next week uh, for part two of the segment and you'll uh, have a unique perspective in that you're gonna be hearing from Megan Shacklett. She's the daughter of deceased uh, retired OCFA Fire Captain Jerry Shacklett. And you'll also hear from OCFA Deputy, former Deputy Fire Chief Ron Blau, who, as we all know, unfortunately, just lost his, his wife and OCFA firefighter of 27 years, Mary Blau, uh, to cancer earlier this year. So be sure to tune in for what's going to be um, heartrending but powerful and reminding uh, of how we need to really watch out for each other on all avenues, especially the cancer front. Until then, um, let's keep watching out for each other and take care of each other. We'll talk to you soon.